Welcome to the Providence Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Marcel Van Nico. If you'd like to stay connected, download our app Providence Community from your phone's app store or visit our website at providencecommunity.org. Good morning, Providence. <laughs> this is embarrassing, but it fe- no, I'm not going to say what I just wanted to say. Um, thanks so much for the warm welcome. It's really good. Um, and it's always an honor to be here in front. Um, I always... I have this prayer where I say, God, never make this pulpit, this area, make it too comfortable. Um, I always want to be in awe and wonder when I stand up um, and I come to um, speak, to teach from God's word. I always want to be the first one that is challenged even before you are challenged. Um, So I always come up here with a bit of like a good anxiousness because I'm like, God, I cannot do this without you. So let's quickly bow our heads as we pray this morning. Father God, thank you that it is an absolutely, it's an honor to be here. It's an honor to be with this family, for Stasha and myself, our family, to be here together um, as part of Providence. Today, as I'm sharing, Lord, I just submit myself to the truth in your word. Um, I submit this message to you, God. Let your spirit lead me. Let your spirit guide me. Um, Please help, Father God, that I discern every moment, that I don't throw my opinion and mix that up with your truth, Father God, but to really just come and present what is on your Father heart this morning. And that is my biggest prayer. Amen. Before I get started, it's really important for me just to mention that um, I'm not speaking on the easiest topic today. Um, So I invited... um, or. I submit everything I'm sharing today to Nathan, firstly, who's the senior pastor of this house, the father of this house, but also our pastors and our elders, and I invited all of them to pray in this week, just because I knew this is not going to be the easiest message to speak on. Um, But I also invited Nathan, and I said, if you need to bring uh, clarity or clarify anything, or even if you have to correct something that I say today, please feel free to do it. Um, I... Um, So that's really important for me to mention that. And I want to invite you, um, and I'm inviting myself to the same thing, that today let us not interpret Scripture um, according to man's experience, but let's interpret Scripture according to God's character and His Father heart. And the very good thing is that I'm the first person today that is held accountable by what I'm sharing because I'm teaching on it. Um, So I welcome that in. And I wanna encourage everyone that is here, let us not partner with shame in any way. But what we should allow is that our hearts be challenged by God's word. That is really a wise thing um, to do. Nathan did such a great job last week talking about sowing and reaping, talking about seeds, um, starting to dive into kingdom finances. And it's interesting, when um, Nathan called me up and invited me to speak, um, it's just amazing how God has been lining things up for us to speak in this season about kingdom finances, because it's now a few weeks that God has been working in my heart on what I'll be talking about today, which is just, I believe, building precept upon precept. 
I remember as a young boy growing up, I was in, still in elementary, our family would go to Zimbabwe to go visit my grandparents because that's where my family's from. And I loved spending vacations at my grandparents' home because my grandfather was a carpenter, he enjoyed doing carpentry like as a hobby. So his whole garage was basically transformed into a carpentry workshop. And you can imagine as a young boy, there's all these um, tools I could get to use, and there's wood everywhere, and I would build things and do things. But I remember there was a shelf in his garage, and on the shelf there was dried corn on the cob. And I was amazed, why is there dried corn on a cob in the shelf, on the shelf in the workshop? And it intrigued me, but I knew this, I knew this one thing, there must be something special about it, because the, the kernels on this corn was different colors, everything from burgundies and oranges and reds and whites, all on the same cob. But I always wondered, why the heck is there dried corn on the cob in my grandfather's garage? Today I'm speaking about tithing. It's a loaded word. The moment you release that word, you say that word, you already face opposition. Usually because of modern day beliefs and modern day teachings, um, it's very common that people just assume that tithing is part of the old, um, the law, it's Old Testament. They say, well, it's been fulfilled. We're in the New Testament. It's no longer relevant for today. Another common thing that you hear people saying is that the New Testament focuses on giving and generosity. I fully agree with you with all my heart. But how I want to challenge all our hearts today is saying this, that if we adopt vocabulary such as giving and generosity because we are unable to mention the word tithe or first fruits, then it's important that we bring that topic, put it on the table and say, hey guys, sit around, open hearts, let's allow the word to challenge us. So, the thing that we all need to understand, every person sitting here today, we created, designed by God, and part of our blueprint is that it's our blueprint to tithe. Every person here today is tithing in some way, but it may be that we're tithing to different things. I'm trusting that we're tithing to God, but you may be possibly tithing to a hobby. You may even be tithing towards an addiction. But it's the way God created us that we will always tithe to something. It all depends on what is the priority. It's pretty quiet in, that, in this place, but I'm prepared for it. I'm not scared. <laughs> Let's talk about what is a tithe. A tithe is a first fruit, and the thing that I love about first fruit is that throughout Scripture, from Old Testament right into New Testament, there's so many verses that reference first fruit and that helps us to understand what it is about, that helps us to gather a bigger picture and knowledge of what first fruit is. We obviously cannot reference every scripture today, but we can go to some key ones and say, God, speak to us, help us understand. In Genesis 4, verse 4 to 5, it's a portion of scripture that we're very familiar with. It's a story of Cain and Abel. And we know that in this verses of scripture, they both bring an offering to God. The one finds favor with God, the other does not find favor with God. When you start reading the detail, you see that part of the reason, not the only reason, but part of the reason why um, Abel's 
offering finds favor with God is because he brings the firstborn of his flock and he offers it to God. Cain just brings produce. He brings some of the fruit of his produce and he offers it to God. There's a lot of things and intricacies in this verse of Scripture, but one of the things that is highlighted is the fact that the one brings a first fruit, the other one just brings general produce and lays it down as an offering. So already over here we see that first fruit has got a value, that it is highlighted, there's something about it that we need to understand. Moving on to Exodus 13 verse one and two, in this portion of scripture, God comes to Moses and he says to Moses, I want you to sanctify every firstborn male that is of, of, of humans and of the flock. Some were, um, translations would use the word consecrate. Others would say sanctify. You've probably heard this before, but what does sanctify mean? It means that it is set apart, set apart for God's use only, which means that our fingerprints shouldn't be on it. It means that we shouldn't be blemishing, blemishing with our fingerprints that which is set aside for God's use only. Proverbs 3 verse 9 is another verse that's quite common. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruit of all your crops. So first fruit is something that's reoccurring. We find it so many places, but what I love, what Proverbs 3 verse 9 just highlights, it says, Honor the Lord. I'll get more into this as we go, but it is sh- it's starting to show us what's the heart behind a first fruit, that it is an act of honor to God. Moving on to Romans 11 verse 16, we're jumping to some New Testament. The Romans 11 verse 16 also highlights the principle of first fruit. And I'm gonna read this to you. It says, if the part of the dough offered as first fruit is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. What is this portion of scripture doing? It is helping us to understand that first fruit that is set apart for God's use only carries a power. It carries a authority. It carries a certain measure of blessing. Because in us choosing to honor God with our first fruit, what is happening is that the rest that God is entrusting into our care becomes holy unto God. And he pours his favor, he pours his blessing onto that. So, it's so common to you, I've even done this myself, that we say, oh, I've given to God, this is mine. But what we need to realize is that actually everything belongs to God. All of it belongs to God. And in honoring God with our first fruit, we're giving that which has been set apart for his use only, and what we're doing is we're inviting his blessing, his favor, his power into the rest that he has entrusted to us. There's a reason why they call it first fruit. And I'm gonna see, because I wanna make an application, I wanna use an example from my own life. When Stasha and myself, when our family, when we do our budgeting, a honoring God with first fruit is not something at the end of our budget that we see, oh, can we afford it? It's not called last fruit, it's called first fruit. We don't put it on our budget even as an expense. 
on, on my budget, I put it as investment. You know why? Because I realize if I honor God with my first fruit, I am investing in His blessing, in His power, in His magnitude on the rest of what's following in the lines lower down on my budget. But later on, I'm gonna be dealing with some common questions, so hold on to this for a moment. It's so common that people say, well, you know what, tithing, first fruit, honoring God with that is all part of the law, it's been fulfilled, it's no longer relevant. But what we need to realize is that tithing, honoring God through first fruit came long before the law. There's this great portion of scripture that I love and so many people don't even know about it. But it is so significant. Genesis 14 verse 18 to 20 says the following. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God most high, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. There's these two verses of scripture that smack bang here in Genesis. And it's just there. And then only in Hebrews 6 and 7 do we see how reference is um, given of this um, portion of scripture. And in Hebrews 6 and 7, we start getting more information about what happened over here. And therefore, it's important that when you study this portion of Scripture, you must draw in Hebrews 6 and 7 and re read it along with one another to understand. Because in Hebrews 7 verse 2, it casts some light on who was Melchizedek. It says in Hebrews 7 verse 2 that he was the king of righteousness. He was the king of peace. When I hear that, I'm thinking, hey, I know this guy. I've heard him I've heard them say this type of thing about this guy I know. According to Hebrews 7 verse 1, hear this out, it says, Melchizedek is without father, <laughs> he's without mother, and genealogy. It says that having neither a beginning nor a end, having been made like the Son of God, he is a priest forever. So we have this portion of scripture in Genesis 14. We have to ask ourselves, God, what do you wanna introduce? What do you wanna establish through this? The first thing we need to understand before, as, so that we can identify what God is um, establishing is it says there, Melchizedek served Abraham with bread and wine. Doesn't that sound familiar? Matthew 26, 26, Jesus says, this, take the bread, this is my body. Then he says, take the cup, the wine. This is my blood. What is Melchizedek doing in Genesis 14? He's ministering unto Abram the elements of communion. The biggest mistake we make is, I spoke about dissecting a few weeks ago. We dissect the Old Testament from the New Testament. We pull them so far apart that we bring death. Spurgeon said the following, and that is what God wants to help, me under, help us understand over here in this portion of scripture. When Melchizedek is serving Abram with communion even before Jesus came. 
The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, hidden. And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. We can't pull them apart. We need to bring them together to understand the full expression, to understand the fullness of what God's heart is, how his kingdom operates and what he has invited us into. Going on, it ends off in verse 20 saying, then Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Do you realize that up to this point, at no point did anyone instruct Abraham to give the, a tithe? Neither was a law put down, give a tithe. It is a spontaneous act of honor that it takes place in the moment. Think about that. Another important thing that God is establishing and introducing in this portion of scripture is how tithing works. And we have to bring Hebrews 7 verse 7 in to understand because it says, there is no doubt that the one who blesses is greater than the one who is blessed. Who's the one who blesses? Melchizedek. Who's the one who received the blessing? Abram. Abram presents a tenth, a tithe to Melchizedek. And what it's teaching us about tithing and about honoring God with our first fruit is that it's all about honoring a higher authority. It's a vertical upward giving. I'm leaving it just there, but hold on to it because later on when we get to difficult questions, I'm gonna use that to bring some clarity on very common questions we hear in the church. In Hebrews 6, verse 19 to 20, it says the following. Remember, I'm using Genesis 14, bringing in Hebrews 6 and 7 to help understand what's going on. So in Hebrews 6, verse 19 to 20, it says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is introduced and established as the New Testament priesthood in the order of Melchizedek. If in Melchizedek's day it was the relevant thing for Abram to give spontaneously to honor Melchizedek with the tithe, then surely if Jesus establishes a New Testament priesthood in the very same order, it's still relevant today. Thanks for that one hand clap. I didn't come today for hand claps, I can tell you that. And I also didn't come with an agenda. Jesus and this New Testament priesthood that he, that he establishes, we need to understand something about it. He always redefines and calls us to a higher standard. Think of Matthew 5, verse 21 to 22. Jesus says, in the past it was said, you shall not murder. But I tell you, you cannot even be angry with your brother or sister. You will be subject to judgment. Then in the verses to follow, verse 27 and 28, he says, it was said, you shall not commit adultery. I'm telling you the thought thereof makes you subject to judgment. What is Jesus doing? He is raising the bar, he's raising the standard, he's calling us to a higher level. 
And he says in the past, the action was wrong. I'm telling you, now the thought that leads to the action is wrong. So if Jesus and his New Testament priesthood redefines lifestyle, then surely he redefines also giving. And in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 to 8, Paul helps us to understand how Jesus redefines giving. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. What is the highest standard that Jesus is calling to as to what is the redefining moment over here. Jesus is saying, I've been speaking about honoring my father with first fruit, but now I wanna encourage you to do it freely. Do it without instruction, without any compulsion. Do it with a cheerful heart. And you know what, when I go back to Abraham and I look at what he did at the end of verse 20, that's exactly what he modeled. He didn't ask questions, there was not doubt. It said he receives the blessing, then Abraham gave a tithe, a tenth. It's exactly what Abraham modeled in Genesis 14. And what we need to realize is that when our lives becomes liberated by the spirit of generosity. It is no longer a case of, you know, I've given to God what belongs to him, now the rest is mine. Now I can enjoy my portion. No, in the spirit of generosity that Jesus invites us to, that redefines us, that's all about being cheerful in our giving and free, giving freely, what happens is I realize that everything I have belongs to God. And God trusts me so much that he entrusted me with it. And now I trust him back by honoring him with my first fruit and not thinking, oh, will I have enough? Or what if I don't have enough? Because how can I give this? This is too much. I just trust him because that's what exactly what he does with me. He trusts me and therefore he entrusts. And in response, I trust him and I say, God, what has been sanctified, set apart for your use only, I don't have to blemish it. I don't have to even get my fingers on it. I just honor you with it. I want to get to a portion of scripture that causes a lot of <laughs> contention. But I'm going there, people. I'm going there. Malachi 3 verse 8 to, 8 to 9. Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? Yes, I'm going there, people. In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Please take note that God isn't the one that curses because it's not in his nature. We bring the curse upon ourselves. And let me explain it because it helps to understand how this works. Joshua 6, verse 18 to 19. The nation of Israel is in front of their promised land. The first city they need to conquer is Jericho. And then God says the following. He instructs. Just remember, 
Israel was a people God adopted. He had to teach them how his heart and his kingdom works. That's why he instructs over here. He says the following, but keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction. I'm gonna read that again. So that you will not bring about your own destruction. It doesn't say so that I can curse you. You bring it upon yourself by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into the treasury. What is God doing? He's teaching His people a principle. They in front of their promised land. So what God is saying, this is the very first city, this is the first fruit. I will let you conquer it because I entrust it to you, but sanctify it, honor me with the spoils that comes from the city, and I will make the rest of the land, which is your inheritance, I will bless it, and it will be holy unto me. Chapter seven, next chapter, they're getting ready to conquer the city of Ai. It's supposed to be easy peasy. They get defeated, and Israel suffers great loss. Why? Because there's a man called Achan, and guess what him and his family did? In Jericho, they stole some of the stuff and hid it away, took it for themselves. What was intended for first fruit, they blemished with their fingerprints. That which is sanctified for God's use only, they took it for themselves. The whole nation of Israel suffers loss, and their whole family faces death. Why do, what do I do with my tithes? Malachi 3 verse 10 to 12 says the following, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing and there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Bring the whole tithe to the storehouse. If you go look at the original word for storehouse, it means armory, a treasure house, a place. Um, sorry, I just want to, uh, where am I? A place of provision, that's the word I was looking for. Hold on to that because we're getting to the part where we're going to answer some questions and it's important to understand what storehouse means. Armory treasure house, place of provision. But the other thing that is important in this verse of scripture, test me in this. This is very common knowledge for a lot of people. This is the only place in the Bible that God says, test me in this. He says, come on, do it, test me, because I'm putting my name behind it. That's why I can preach so confidently about it today because I don't have to make any promises to you. He's the one that's making the promise. That's why I can stand here and not be intimidated because when I look at my life, I can testify of the very same thing. If you're sitting here and you may be doubting about this or you're like, there's something kicking against the goads, I wanna encourage you, Go look for families that are, uh, that are honoring God with their tithes and ask them for testimonies. You'll be so inspired. I'm not in any way intimidated or fearful to preach about it because God's the one that says, test me in this. The only place where he says you can do it.
A quick one, I'm gonna, a quick blow to the gut and then I'm gonna move on so that we can catch our breath. What is the difference between tithes and offerings? There is a difference, it's very important to understand it. A tithe is a first fruit set apart for God's use only. A offering is when we take the rest that God has entrusted to us, giving over and above from what is sanctified for God, so we're really digging into our pockets. A tithing is not digging into our pockets. It belongs to God. It was never ours. Offering is that over and above when we dig in our own pockets what's actually our portion that God has entrusted to us, and we give over and above. That's offering. Okay, let's get to difficult questions because I love this part. Oh, and Nathan, I might make you nervous, <laughs> but, but um, there's one question that I have to deal with. But yeah, we're confident because God, God knows what he's doing when it comes to these things. Why must I give my tithes to the church if it is holy unto God? It's a good question, isn't it? Malachi 3 verse 10 says the following, bring your whole tithe to the storehouse. A good way to answer this question, ask yourself, Remember what storehouse means, armory, place of provision, treasure house. Ask yourself this question, where am I being spiritually equipped, spiritually nourished, spiritually fed? That is your storehouse. That's your storehouse. And that's the purpose of God's body, is to do exactly that. We're gonna to get to another question that you might be thinking of at the moment, which it pulls me into the next thing. So Marcel, can I divide my tithe between different places? Very good question. God, if I read Malachi 3 verse 10, it says bring the whole tithe to the storehouse. If I read that, I'm gonna make this clear, I recommend, I recommend. If I read that scripture, your whole tithe, your whole first fruit is brought to the storehouse. Many people is like, hey, but I tithe, I give, I support these missionaries, I support this ministry, um, these parachurch ministries, these NGOs, I'm tithing, you know, I'm spreading my tithe out there. It's awesome that you're doing that. The spirit of generosity is living and active in your heart. But don't call that a tithe. I'm gonna explain all of this because there's people in here that, that live off the support of other people. And I'm not preaching against you. We're just helping people understand how God's kingdom finances work. To explain it, I'm going to explain it this way. Remember the principle that is explained and that is introduced in Genesis 14. The blesser is of greater authority than the one blessed. And we learn that giving a first fruit is a vertical act of honor. A tithe is meant for the storehouse. It's a, for the place where there's authority speaking into your life, challenging you, stirring you, helping you to change. Where can we divide then giving? Definitely when it comes to offering. That over and above, we can freely divide and we must support as many of these things because these things cannot take place. Parachurch ministries, missionaries that we supported, ministries that we supported cannot take place if we don't do over and above giving of offering. And that we can divide, we can support families, we can do things, but I honestly believe that the principle that God is teaching over here, the whole tithe comes to the storehouse. 
I want to give you a bit of an illustration. It might not work well, but it, it helps understand. I don't go to Chipotle's, order food, sit down, eat their food, and pay at Mod Pizza. And I know that's this in this illustration, um, it's about paying for a service. Tithing is not paying for a service, it's honoring God. But you, I want to help us understand, there where you're being fed is the place where you present first fruit as a vertical act of giving to a higher authority that is transforming your life. And over and above, we must give offering and we must pour it out generously just as Jesus teaches us. A good question that's coming up, so what should I do if my church is not providing me with spiritual nourishment? It's a very good question. You know what? Here at Providence, it is more important for us to see you position yourself in God's blessing than it is for us to have the bragging rights that we have a family that is so big. If you are not being spiritually nourished and fed and equipped in this house, it is better for you to find a place where that happens and to position yourself in God's blessing than it is for us to have the bragging rights that you're part of this house. Very big statement. That's why I said, I'm sorry, if, but it's true. I, I am so excited for, you, for each one of us to live in the favor of God's blessing that it's more important that you are in a place where you can give unaltered, faithfully, because you feel empowered and equipped than you are in a place where you're struggling to do it because you don't feel that way. Which gets me to my last question that I want to dive in. So when should I start? Because so often people are like, hey, I just cannot afford it right now. You know what? I'm, as, as soon as I get on full hours, then I'll do it. It's a very good question. But remember, it's a first fruit. It's not a last fruit. That's, a, that's a, the wrong question you, you're kind of asking. Because what we need to understand, a first fruit, or whenever we're receiving... Whenever God provides resources, when he provides produce, when he provides harvest, there is first fruit involved. So whenever we're receiving, there is a first fruit with which we can honor God. So that means even you teens sitting here in the front, if there's any kids over here, if you're receiving an allowance from your parents, you're receiving, there's first fruit involved. If you're working 16 hours a week, you receive you paid per hour, you're receiving this first fruit involved. If you're paying full hours, this first fruit involved. I sell art, but I'm also paid a salary. The income that comes from my art that I sell, there's first fruit involved. Every avenue where God is investing in me, there's first fruit involved. And I choose to honor God with it because it's sanctified for His use only. So what I'm trying to explain, whether you are a young kid that receives a $10 allowance and your first fruit is $1, or whether you, the first fruit you're bringing to the storehouse is $100,000, both are equally holy because it's first fruit that is set apart for God's use only. Both bring the same blessing, the same authority into our lives. So don't ever say, oh, I cannot afford it. 
There's never a small first fruit. First fruit remains first fruit. And when we learn to give it when it's easy, <laughs> when it's just $1, it's easy to do it when it's $100,000. I could remember standing in my, my grandfather's workshop and I saw this shelf with this dried corn on the cob and I was wondering why the heck is this up here? One day my grandfather um, is in the workshop with me and I ask him, hey grandfather, please explain to me why dried corn on a cob? on that shelf, he told me this story. He said, you know, some time ago, someone gave me the seeds, a farmer, but this is a very special type of corn that is very difficult to find in Zimbabwe or even in just surrounding areas. So I planted the corn and a harvest came up. But when I took that harvest, I didn't take all of it into the house so that grandma could cook it for us because I realized then there's no seed for the next harvest and the next harvest. So every time that I plant the seed, I hold back and I put it aside. Because your grandmother and I have realized that if we consume all the seed, there's no seed for planting. That's why we honor God with first fruit, because we learn to discern some of it is meant for consumption. But seed that is meant for planting shouldn't be consumed. It shouldn't be consumed. So this morning, if you feel challenged, if you even, you may feel offended, I, I just pray that you will be overwhelmed with testimony of God's goodness just purely because God says, test me on this. Test me on this. If I'm quiet, it's just because I, I sense the Holy Spirit wants to do something and I just want to be sensitive, know we're doing the right thing. I want to invite us, let us just stand together. <clears throat> let us open up our hearts as we're standing. Let's, let's assume a posture of just connecting with God and just invite Him and just say, Lord, um, Mosau has spoken things but I want you now to come through your spirit and make alive, um, Father God, to take this further and to, to come and breathe upon it. So there where you're standing, each one of us, let's just interact with God. Let's invite God to, to speak to us what he wants to speak to us in this moment. And let's just allow a moment of silence for that as we just interact with God. Holy Spirit, we just invite you right now to come and just seal this. Um, Father God, if, if I, through this message, inflicted condemnation on any person right now, I pray that you remove it and then speak to my heart and correct my heart, Father God, for doing that. But Lord, if there's conviction, that's a good thing. We know your word brings conviction. 
and continue to work there in a healthy way, in a, um, in a way that will bring forth the right things, the right results, Father God. So we just surrender our lives to you, continue to minister to us regarding this, Father God. If our, hand, if our hearts feel a bit tender and a bit sensitive, we pray that you come and just um, put the solve on it and that, Father God, you just come and do your work. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that this word will bring light to dark places, life to dead places, hope to desperate places, and heaven to earthly places.